So how many people work on your team at BCU? Because you're the senior lecturer, right? Yeah, so, well, I'm a senior lecturer, so I work in the Department of Secondary and Post-Compulsory Education. So in in our department, there's probably about, um, across all the different subjects, there's probably about 30 to 35 of us. Um, And we teach, you know, maths, English, geography, all humanities, languages, and then we've got art, music and drama. Um, But I'm the only sort of um, drama lecturer there. Uh, at the moment there is um, my colleague Simon teaches a little bit as well but he's got sort of uh, more significant responsibilities in the faculty so uh, he kind of does a little bit of teaching just to get out of it Um, but yeah it's kind of me on my own really. So how did you fall into your position at BCU because on your website it says that you're originally a drama teacher is that right? Yeah that's right I um uh well to give a long story fairly short I trained in Chester um, I did my master's and my PGC in Chester. Uh, and then I worked in, in a school in Luton for uh, two years, which is where I really learned to teach. And, uh, and then um, I, got, I was fortunate enough to get a job in Birmingham. And I worked there for, uh, gosh, eight, nine years. Uh, first I was a drama teacher. Then I was um, head of the curriculum for drama. Uh, and then I, was, I got... Um, not a promotion really, but I qualified as an advanced skills teacher when they existed. Um, so the, the role was to sort of have a bit more of a whole school impact. Um, and then as part of that, I was mentoring um, for Birmingham City University. And um, and then, yeah, the, the job sort of came up and I was really interested in it. And um, I was just, I've just been so lucky to uh, get that role. Yeah, I went for it at the interview and that sort of... Um, yeah, it happened and I got the job, fortunately enough. And um, yeah, I've been there seven years. And I know I've been there seven years because uh, on my very first day there, my uh, son, Eddie, was born on the, on the very first day. So I had to go to work and then uh, I had to leave in the middle of a staff meeting to get to the hospital. Um, so yeah, it's uh, <laughs> quite an yeah, interesting... It's like a, a happy anniversary every <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so once you took that role on at, at BCU, did it require you to then begin to restructure how things were taught? I mean, what was the course like before you arrived compared to how it runs now? Um, yeah, I think when I, when I first started, I had some experience of teacher education, which obviously helped me to get the job. Um, and I think, you know, there was a period, of, there was a bit of a transition for me professionally from being a sort of classroom teacher working with teenagers to working then with postgraduate teachers entering the profession. Um, so that, that was quite a transformation uh, for me. And it, it meant that I had to really think about my pedagogy um, and really uh, be prepared to sort of almost open myself up as a teacher to be criticized analyzed unpicked um you know and you have to model all those things for the uh, postgraduates coming in um so i mean that 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 transition in terms of my sort of identity started really there um just trying to get to grips with you know higher education and initial teacher education um, and then i think over the seven years um obviously being in an education environment you you engage more and more with research um, and you know the research has really informed what I do in in the classroom I say classroom in the drama studio in the lecture hall whatever it is um, 
and then yeah I guess now it's sort of I'm now sort of seven years in and I'm sort of seeing my identity if you like a lot more as a sort of teacher researcher teacher practitioner researcher um so the kind of the roles kind of morphing um into something or, or it's constantly changing to be honest i mean it's it's an it's an ongoing sort of thing which again you know this this year since march again you know we started talking a little bit but it's again it's 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 morphing again in a in a very uh, different direction um and one that i'm not really sure where it's heading to but i guess that's the sort of that's the enjoyment of the ride isn't it <laughs> yeah of course it is of course it is and i wanted to ask chris are you finding that graduates are now starting to enroll with more developed skill bases due to the university courses preparing them potentially better for careers in teaching? Or do you find that year upon year students arrive with the same apprehensions as the last? Um, Well, first of all, I have to say, well, to all any trainee who's training this year, but particularly my guys at BCU, I've just, I've got to take my hat off to them because, you know, they've come into a training year which is already incredibly difficult. And then they've thought, oh, well, I'll just do it during the middle of a global pandemic. And I I just, I have to say, I've got such admiration for them because their positivity, their commitment, their engagement with with what they're doing, it just, you know, it it makes me feel really proud of them to sort of really engage with that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's just what they're doing is amazing. And, you know, to come back to your question, really, it's about, I think, yeah, we've had to change what we're doing. And yes, we've had to really think about the types of things we're trying to engage trainees with. Um, But at the same time, we're kind of, we're almost building the plane as it's taking off. So we're, we're kind of, we're all genuinely learning together. So, you know, I'm learning, particularly with the sort of online stuff, I'm learning with the trainees, which is, again, it adds a different dynamic to the relationship between, you know, a traditional sort of teacher and their students. Um, but it's interesting, you know, um, it's, I guess I've learned to just try and be a bit more playful and exploratory with what, with what I'm doing um, and kind of just let go a little bit, which is a, an interesting position to be in when you're sat in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always easier said than done, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So how are the modules on your course set out? What can prospective students expect? Okay, that, that's a good question. So um, I'll describe it in a linear fashion, but it, inevitably it's not. It's kind of multi-layered. So there's, essentially there's five modules. Uh, two of the modules are the school practice modules where the trainees would complete them in school. Um, and then the other three modules are sort of the academic modules, the modules that are a bit more aligned to the university. Um, so one of those modules is called professional studies. And um, that's where they learn about sort of generic topics within the within education, like assessment, behaviour, uh, differentiation um, and that sort of things. Um, they also engage in a module called professional inquiry, which is uh, a piece of research that they do, which is um, it's an autoethnographic piece of research. So really they're looking or they're researching themselves and their own teacher identity and how that's emerging, which I think this year is going to be fascinating. Um, 
And the final module that they also do is called a subject pedagogy module. So that's where they, um, they take some of the experiences they've had at university in their sort of drama sessions. Um, they apply some of those ideas in a school context and then they critically reflect upon um, the experience of trying to teach it. Um, and really with that module, we're trying to get them to unpick, you know, the dynamics of drama pedagogy and how it operates with young people. Um, so, yeah, the five, the five modules, they kind of, they're, they're all introduced at different times, but they all sort of happen at the same time. So it's kind of a multi-layered, um, multi-layered module approach, if you like. One thing that keeps recurring, Chris, is this idea of identity. Not only when you speak about teaching and training teachers, but also within your own research itself. And I'd just like to maybe unpick that a little bit. Why is the identity mm -hmm. of a teacher so fundamental to their development and their teaching within a classroom? Yeah, I, I have got an answer for that. <laughs> I'm just trying to think how to put it. Uh, I think the best teachers are the ones that can self-spectate. Uh, the best teachers are the ones that can almost operate outside themselves. So they, they can almost imagine themselves as the teacher. So they're kind of looking from above at what they're doing, how they're speaking, you know, their interactions. Um, and I guess really, you know, that, I don't know where that's come from, but I think not in a, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but in a, in a sort of, our way throughout my teaching personally I've been very self-reflective um, and I think then uh, as part of that self-reflection and that self-spectatorship that idea about identity and, and you know not only how it affects others but also how your identity is affected um, that's become a really interesting area for me um, which has been sort of strengthened by the, the different range of experiences I've had so you know, working in secondary schools, working in higher education. I've been really fortunate to work on sort of European projects. Um, I've worked with, you know, a variety of young people, a variety of postgraduates. Um, and, you know, all those things affect me um, and who, who I think I am in the classroom. But actually coming to understand that, you know, you have to sort of, like I said at the beginning, you have to sort of step out of yourself and really start to unpick what what that actually means not only for myself but also for those that might be working with me so was that the main body of your research for your thesis the idea of identity as a teacher yeah that right how long have you got <laughs> <laughs> um it didn't start like that um it really didn't but it it inevitably ended up like that so um yeah i mean the, the central sort of point of my thesis is is really to explore how my identity as a, a lecturer and a teacher, how that has an, an affect on sort of the people that I work with entering the profession. Um, and the way that I uh, got into that really was to, I was thinking about a particular session that I do with my trainees, which is a session based upon my uh, great, great grandfather, who was uh, Emmanuel, who fought in World War One. And inevitably, you know, with any sort of family stories, you always hear sort of myths and legends about past relatives and they all oh, they did this. And, you know, um, and there were some interesting stories about Emmanuel, um, which I found fascinating. And I thought they'd be really useful for a drama, um, you know, just 
just to explore World War One rather than doing that sort of traditional World War One poems and things. Um, so yeah, I basically designed a, a drama workshop, uh, taught my trainees, uh, or have taught my trainees a few times using this workshop, um, and then reveal. I don't tell them that it's my great grandfather, great great grandfather, until right at the end. Um, and it's, it was really significant because there's always a moment where the sort of the learning changes. It becomes a bit more meaningful. And I talk about it being a moment of unity. So between the teacher and the pupils, when they know, oh, my gosh, you know, that's related. He's related to Chris. And that's it just changes the sort of the authenticity, if you like, of, of the work that we're doing. And actually, um, when I was developing the work through the thesis, you know, I, I talked a lot about uh, the relationship between truth and fiction and how, you know, we can use truth and fiction to make sort of meaningful learning experiences. And I ended up actually arguing in my thesis that I'm actually the embodiment of my great, great grandfather. I think I, I think at one point he <laughs> said, you know, I am Emmanuel. It's, um, it was a really interesting sort of theoretical exploration. Um, so yeah, that kind of, that's, that's, that sort of, again, that adds to my identity in a way that sort of there's that historical sort of input as well as the sort of present input and the future input as well. So, you know, in terms of identity and why that's becoming more and more interesting is because it's, it's constantly being sort of, um, what's the word, sort of cross cuts, if you like, it's being intersected uh, at different moments and different things converge um, and make me sort of reflect on who I am, but also who I'm becoming as well. So how can a lack of identity for a teacher be detrimental to not only themselves, but also their classroom as well? Mm. <laughs> Good question. Um, I think the teaching profession has seen a, you know, a real shift uh, in terms of, you know, how teachers are, are being or have been professionalised um and you know at the risk of sounding political um you know we've we've seen the shift to academies um you know lots of schools becoming more and more sort of like businesses um and you know these the sort of generation of these large sort of multi-academy trusts which do great things um but there's always a danger with those things that um it kind of anonymizes the staff or it kind of makes them uh, almost you know conform to a particular way of teaching or a way of doing things and then I think I think for me you know if if a teacher doesn't really understand their identity who they are and what they're doing in the classroom and, and really more fundamentally why they're doing what they're doing it, it it really can't be meaningful for the young people that are in front of them and I think really you know if this is something I try and get across with the teachers that I work with in initial teacher education. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about their rationale, you know, who they are, why they're doing it, because without having that sort of foundation, you, you know, you, you're just going to burn out. You're just going to get bombarded and, you know, you'll end up leaving the profession. And I think if you've got, a, maybe it's idealistic, but I think if you, if you've got a, a strong rationale and a strong personal belief, almost like a bit of a crusade if you like um then that that can it's almost like your armor it can it can make you stronger in the sort of battle if you like in in because it's tough out there uh, yeah, so i think well i think 
that's what I think anyway. I mean, I think that identity is really important. And I think there's a risk that new teachers in particular can easily get swallowed up in the, the big educational machine um, unless they sort of have a, a clearish idea about who they are. And how do postgrads react to understanding that this is something that they might have to develop? I mean, I'm sure that you encounter a lot of postgraduate students who have never even contemplated the thought of having to make sure that their identity shines through when <laughs> yeah. they teach. I, I was laughing when you asked that because, uh, it's again, it's a really good question because, you know, I sit at interview with, with postgraduates and they're, you know, we go through the process and at the end I always say, you know, this course is, is really stressful and, you know, as a result of that stress and it pressure, it always changes you. It always changes who you are. And all these, um, all these sort of applicants, you know, like, yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, they're giving me the, the spiel, if you like. Yeah, I understand that. Um, and I don't think they really believe me until they get onto the course and then they get onto the course and they start going, whoa, this is, this is kind of real. Um, and, and what it does is obviously it changes who they are. And over time they start to believe that more and more because you, you see it in not only what they do, but the way that they respond to different situations. So, you know, we'll, we'll get tears, obviously, uh, stress. We get people wanting to give up. Uh, we get people, you know, uh, who absolutely, some people absolutely thrive with that pressure. Um, but, you know, post, I'm sort of generalizing here, but generally postgraduates, you know, they, despite lecturers telling them that, you know, teaching changes who you are, they don't necessarily believe it until they've gone through that experience. Um, and I guess that's, I guess that's what gives it its power, isn't it? You can't really, you can't really, someone can't really tell you what's going to happen to you until you've done it yourself. Um, but it does, it does change people massively. Um, sometimes, well, more often than not for the better, but sometimes, you know, it makes people realize actually this is teaching and education is really not, not what I thought it was or what I want it to be. So. And do you find that those are some of the most common skills that postgrads find themselves having to refine or are there other, what are some of the other popular creases that you find yourself having to iron out for students? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, whether to what extent postgraduates are aware of how much their identity is changing or not is, is a very different question. Um, and I think actually that those postgraduates that thrive are those postgraduates who sort of um, are more willing and open to that change. So they're not as resistant to it. The, tra the trainees that sort of struggle are the ones that resist, um, which, which sounds a bit, sounds a bit fascist really doesn't it but um but yeah th those that are adaptable and those that are you know open to change their mind and to are willing to you know take risks they're, they're the ones that are usually thrive um in their preparation for teaching um i guess other sort of creases you know one of the one of the big creases to sort of iron out is is how people deal with stress um because it you know these postgraduates, not only are they doing an academic course, you know, at, you know, at master's level, really, they're also learning on the job. Um, and I mean, teaching for anyone is just, I mean, it's stressful, isn't it? Um, but then doing an academic qualification on top is, well, it's just mad. <laughs> you know, people, right. 
it's something. And then like. they're going into a career where they're then having to supervise ninety plus other people's yeah, qualifications just, yeah. on top who, of that. Who would right? do it? <laughs> so once postgrads leave and they're in a school and they begin teaching, do you have systems set up so that new trainee teachers are then able to feed back on the tuition that they received on? how well it's maybe set them up for their new position or or maybe how it's not set them up so well in some areas. How do you then begin to um, quantify some of that feedback? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, we do, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm really uh, not against, but I'd, I'd, one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to get a load of, you know, postgraduates onto the course, get them through the nine, ten months and then throw them out the door and say, you know, off you go into the big wide world. Um, I think what's really important for teachers, uh, I mean, again, this is my belief, but I think what's important for teachers is to have that community of practice where, you know, we're not just throwing them out of the door at BCU. We, we're, we're, all, we're keeping them in that sort of family. Um, and, you know, that, that can work in lots of different ways. But the way that we're or the way that I'm sort of trying to develop that um I'm doing it in partnership with Big Brum Theatre and Education Company. Um, and basically, we've got a, a network of teachers who we, um, we've got a core of uh, teachers who've predominantly done the course at BCU. And then they carry on studying with us to do a master's in teaching and learning. Uh, and so Big Brum and I, um, we sort of deliver that course, if you like. And they're sort of the, the core that are interested in, you know, working in school, but carrying on and getting formally accredited for the work. Um, and then outside that, we've got a sort of a, another group that sort of sits in a sort of an other circle who are sort of doing the work, but are not necessarily looking for any formal uh, accreditation, but they still take part in the meetings. They still come and uh, engage with what, what's going on and stuff. And then beyond that, you know, we've got some other teachers who are not necessarily as engaged, but will dip in and out maybe to our annual sort of conference, um, you know, and they keep in touch via email. And I think that that connection is really important um, because particularly for drama teachers, because it can be quite a lonely, uh, a lonely place. You know, if you're in a one person department, um, you know, just so, sometimes having someone to bounce an idea off, uh, just someone to listen, you know, it, it's as someone who understands, you know, the position or predicament that you might find yourself in, it's, it's a really important. Um, and, and especially so for those who are, you know, new to the profession um, and, you know, fairly young, just starting off. I think it's, it's good to sort of have that um, family support. Uh, yeah, and that's something we're trying to develop. Um, and, you know, it's got its challenges because we have people who sort of, you know, they start, in, they start with us in that sort of group, but inevitably school sort of takes their focus and attention away. But that's okay, you know, they, they, as long as they're, you know, feeling okay and, you know, where I always say, you know, the door's always open and we're always there. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in just throwing people out, like I said. No. And that's certainly recognisable because one of the most enthusiastic, um, one of the reasons why I was so enthusiastic about actually getting to speak to you is because of from the outside looking in, how visibly proactive you are, whether that's the constant stream of threads, discussions with teachers with drama teachers specifically 
about engaging new provision, welcoming in artistic organisations into schools to enrich the learning opportunities of its pupils and students. That, to me, is the attitude of a course or a person or Mm -hmm. a practitioner that cares. Um, And then on top of that, (laughs) you also have your blog, which we'll come on to in a moment because I really want to talk about the Drama for Democracy um, project. I, ju- I just wanted to know, first of all, how vast are mm-hmm. some of the networks that you're a part of? You know, how many people are involved with some of these networks? What's the community like? Yeah, so, I mean, the the, the sort of the drama hub, if you like, the stuff to do with the masters and, you know, that sort of teaching hub. Um, on, on the course this year, we've got about 15 uh, who are all some are doing a dissertation which involves them researching their practice some are a little bit earlier on in their journey uh, beyond that you know we've got we've got a range of teachers across Birmingham and the West Midlands um, we've got some uh, we've got some drama teachers who are a bit further afield as well so people that have moved away but still keep in touch so I pro- you know we've got a Facebook group as well which there's about 180 sort of teachers there that have got a sort of connection with BCU um, so yeah, that 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 network's quite big um, in that sense. Um, I mean, one of the things it's, it's nice that you said that before. It's really it's nice to hear that feedback because you don't hear that often. Um, and one of the one of the things that's not necessarily sad, but you know, you've this big community's there, and you know, I, I do try and keep proactive and you know post things and just make you know let people know about stuff it's very rare that you get any sort of feedback where people say, Oh, that's really useful, Chris, or, you know, um, can you help us with this? You know, and I think the reason I'm maybe mentioning that here is because, you know, I'm in a really, really fortunate and lucky position. You know, I can, I can sit in my sort of university ivory tower and I've got time and space to think about how teachers, drama teachers in particular might best operate. So, you know, you mentioned there about a resource, um, not that I'm objectifying myself as a resource, but that's the sentiment there is that, you know, I am also a resource and I want, I'd, I'd really like it if people saw that, you know, as, you know, not just me, but the Institute as well, BCU as being somewhere that they can come back to, that they can use as a resource and that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just a place where you come spend your money and then you've got your qualification. It's, it's more than that for me. It's, it's, it's a, it is, it's about that community. It's about uh, coming together um, you know, and, and a sharing and a supporting, if you like, that sort of community of discovery. Um, I guess, uh, you know, not to sound heroic, but I guess I might be on my own there in the university because, you know, everyone's really busy as well, but it's just my passion and I've just been really lucky, lucky enough to have that opportunity to follow that, I guess. Mm. I don't think I don't think you are alone there, Chris, to be honest, because the amount of people who are engaging with the resources and the conversations that you're providing and and are having people like yourselves i recently spoke with open drama and they echo the the same dilemma that drama teachers are facing that it it feels like an uphill struggle within their school to make senior teams aware of the power of the subject that they're teaching and how they can utilize it to broaden the creative learning and the holistic learning of the pupils or students yeah, in the school yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the frameworks that you're providing are certainly stepping stones and the keys to doing that. And that brings me on hmm. nicely to talk about 
the drama for democracy enormous ideas okay. framework off your website um chris i've run this workshop now with three key stage two classes great um and i've also run it with a 14 to 18 <laughs> youth theater group. that's great now the 14 to 18 youth theater group absolutely flew with the exercises however the ways in which they went about the exercises sometimes left maybe two or three participants silent which really then began to contradict what their <laughs> idea of democracy was because not everybody was having their say. Some people were yeah. left out of some of the conversations. Um, but for the key stage two groups, the feedback that they gave me on some of the exercises were remarkable. Like the, the discussions that we were having in regards to community, representation, what elements of society or their lives they felt were underrepresented in the societies that they live in, the roles of their families, their teachers, the support networks that they surround themselves with. Like, to have such socially aware conversations with young people that, I, you know, I can't help but absolutely praise the framework and the research itself honestly it was fantastic i really really enjoyed the work so thank you so much um to you and everybody that was involved in creating that resource how did that all come about tell me a little bit about the drama for democracy model yeah great uh, again that's brilliant feedback <laughs> um yeah uh, wow. yeah how did that project come about so i i can't take credit for the whole of that project obviously that was um there are lots of partners, which I'll come on to in a minute. But, um, yeah, it started with uh, a colleague of mine in the university, um, Eleni Kaniri. Um, and just after um, Brexit was a – yeah, the Brexit vote was coming about. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what instigated it. We were just having a conversation over coffee and we are saying, you know, what's going on? And, you know, what this is, you know, we, we – because, uh, sorry, Lenny's from Greece, so we were kind of talking about Europe and the EU, and we were talking about, you know, some of the positives, some of the drawbacks, etc. Um, anyway, we, we came up with this idea to work with some colleagues across Europe just to explore what how teachers across different subjects might develop sort of democratic practices in their own, uh, in their own teaching spaces. Um, and uh, we submitted um, we submitted our application on the day that Theresa May signed the withdrawal agreement, or there was some momentous uh, something going on anyway. And we thought we thought nothing of it. We thought yeah, it'll never get accepted. It's just you know we we tried. We'll see what happens. Anyway, uh, it came back from uh, Erasmus Plus. They wanted us to do the project, which was just you know fantastic. Um, so we worked with some European partners. So we worked with uh, the University of Rome. Um, we worked with a, an independent school uh, based in Athens in Greece. Um, we worked with a children's rights organization called uh, Keke from Belgium. And we also worked with a theater and education company called Insights from Hungary uh, in Budapest. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, having having those partners on board, you know, they're fantastic because they're coming from very different political and cultural uh, starting points, uh, which, you know, like your example before about your silent people in your classroom, you know, really challenges 
um, well, it challenged my understanding of democracy and what that might be in school. Um, so yeah, the, pro the project really sort of developed from there. And um, part of that project was actually um, us as practitioners coming to understand each other's practice in a democratic way. Um, so in terms of my own learning, you know, and that idea of self-reflecting, I went on a bit of a journey with that, that project. Um, I, I thought I had quite a clear understanding of democracy and democratic spaces. And, and actually when that was tested, in a practical sense, I was, I was very resistant. Um, but over time, you know, um, that, that, that changed. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, the, the work was great. We, we did two summer schools. Uh, we did one in Marathonus, which is just outside of Athens, and um, the second summer school in Budapest in Hungary. F just fantastic work. We were working with teachers. Um, we were testing out some of the lessons that you, uh, some of the workshops that you mentioned there, um, you know, and they informed some of what we were doing as well. So it was kind of a true sort of um, a cyclical sort of relationship where we'd try something uh, as, you know, on our guinea pigs, if you like, uh, and they would give us feedback about the experience. And then we'd go in and just sort of redraft it and then try it again. And um, so it was a real sort of collaborative, um, collaborative project. Yeah, and out of it, I mean, come you know, there's a, a sort of a conceptual framework, there's a methodological framework, there's um, all the sort of resources that any teacher can use for free. Um, and like you mentioned there, you know, you can cut it up, you can use the whole thing, you can adapt it, that's what it's there for. Um, there's, some, uh, there's some online materials as well. Um, and there's also a, a, a way to assess the work as well, which we felt was important for teachers. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's all there, and um, I mean that we finished that in November 2019. So um, yeah, and then we were starting to think about well, what's next, and then the pandemic hit, so it's kind of just put put a hold on things. Um, but that work's still there, and I think it's I think now you know I mean again without trying to get too political at, at the moment, this moment in time, that 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 sort of work is is fundamental for. Um, well, I think for young people to just, you know, I mean, they don't need telling that they're aware of the world they live in, that they they feel it, you know, they're, they're conscious in an unconscious way, maybe about what's going on in, in the world around them. And, you know, I think schools are, I, I just always think, you know, when I was at school, I was never taught about politics or anything to do with, you know, the world out there. And I think really the project is about, trying to bring elements of the world out there, if you like, into the classroom um, in, in a way that enables people to, to not necessarily talk about their own opinions, but talk about, you know, the situation through an, a character, a fictional situation, a fictional other. And, you know, they can test those things out. And I think that's, I think that's really important for young people. And actually, sorry, just to go on, but, you know, the, the pandemic, it, it really showed something. It really revealed something to young people, I think, about, you know, school and exams. Because, you know, those poor year 11s, they were, last summer, you know, they, they sort of suddenly had their whole exams taken away, stripped away. And, you know, it was as if, you know, oh, you've been studying, you don't need to do an exam, it doesn't matter. And actually, you know, those young people, hang on a minute, you know, this is this is my future. And I think it really hit home. That and, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, the sort of the um, the explosion, if you like, of, of, of that movement as, as again, as, as 
young people have really sort of tuned into that. And I, I don't think that's an accident. I think young people are becoming more and more engaged. I think they're more and more aware. I think, you know, they've, they've just, they're, they're, yeah, I think schools are ideally placed to sort of deal with some of that, some of that stuff uh, now um, in that way. I think schools are the perfect place for these discussions to be happening because the young people, especially the 14 to 18 group that I worked with, were all very vocal about the fact that they engage in political or social conversation or dialogue online with other people, whether that's antagonising people and trolling them and, you know, picking on people who may have very narrow political opinion or whether that's just as a voyeur you know we we held a little bit of a survey about who engages online or who looks at this type of stuff and mm. and everybody certainly had an opinion on it and i think one of the most remarkable things about this framework is that it practically allows staff and students to collaboratively explore young people's ideas of democracy and especially the the meta axis the meta axis element to it of the the fiction yeah, and then coming out of the fiction and and being able to discuss the decisions that they've made and the implications of those decisions and then re-enter and then on top of that you then have moments where the participants publicly have to vote on a decision then they go away and privately vote on a decision. And that's something that was really, really fun to watch because when the private decision came back different to the public vote, that was something that really kind of blew their minds a little bit. They were like, right, okay, well, maybe this model that we've set up here not not necessarily doesn't represent everybody, but not everybody in this format doesn't feel confident enough to to really say how they feel. Another thing that the model did really well was explore young people's political persuasions. So at the beginning, at the offset, everybody was incredibly vocal about creating a really liberal, socialist community that was representative of everybody and they used their youth theatre group as a model for that they said that everybody felt Mm. the one reason why they loved the drama group so much was because it was representative of everybody that was in it it was a a shared space where all of them felt that their identities were appreciated (laughs) and reflected in the work and conversations that we have So alongside that, they then really vocally express their disdain for certain political figures or presidents, so to speak, (laughs) prime ministers. However, when it then came to decision-making and rule-making within the model and the dilemmas that pop up within the model that the community have to solve using their democratic system that they've set up, some of them voted on things or expressed opinions about certain areas that really didn't reflect their political identity. And watching them unravel that and kind of... I don't know, just develop an understanding that 
it is okay to be for one thing and against another. That it isn't just a simple task to say, I am this, so I believe all these things. There's a, 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 a myriad of things that fall into the consequences of decisions or the practicalities of certain rules being in place for certain things and procedures. Um, so yeah, and, and just being able to explore that with that age group and give them the opportunity to vocalise and play around with some of those um, with some of those decisions was was invaluable. And I think it really, really, really made it enjoyable for them to also learn about themselves. Yeah. Did the project originally have two sets of aims? Were the first to explore democracy in democratic spaces with teachers and then secondly with students or was it always a two-tiered process the project was to look at both of those areas yeah i think the the initial aim of the project was to help teachers to think about how they could create those democratic spaces uh, by using draw or dramatic approaches in a sense and i guess you know not to duck the question, but an outcome of that inevitably is going to be how does that impact upon young people, you know, because um, obviously working with teachers, that they're their sort of prime, um, I want to say customers, but that's not the word I wanted. Um, but they're, they're the people that they're collaborating with, aren't they, a lot? And I think, you know, the, those two aims, you can't necessarily, we couldn't, for instance, we couldn't say to teachers, you know, how do we de- create democratic spaces without considering the young people that they were working with, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're so sort of tightly knit. So I think I think the project really was was about how we do that in school. And I think one of the things that I, f- I forgot to mention when you asked about where it came from, we did, um, uh, Eleni, my colleague in BCU, and I, um, uh, and uh, another colleague of mine called Emma, uh, we did a little bit of research right at the beginning in 2016. It was sort of a needs analysis where we sent out um, a survey to, I think we had about 96 responses in the UK, um, just asking a few questions about, you know, is um, uh, is there time to discuss, you know, the, uh, the migrant crisis, which was quite, you know, it was very um, not well publicised, but I mean, it was kind of at its height, if you like. I know it's still going on uh, in the media. Um, you know, we were asking questions like, you know, does your school have space to teach and learn about this? Uh, you know and lots lots of teachers were telling us you know no that it's all about exams Uh, young people don't focus on this because you know they've got to prepare for uh, x y and z um well or you know we do address these issues are during form time which is 20 minutes you know it was it was and it really sort of hit home for me because it was like we're i'm only here through pure luck you know and if if I'd been born in a different country, for example, you know, that 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 could, you know, crossing that channel, that could be my reality. And actually, you know, it, it kind of links to the idea about privilege, which again has become more and more sort of evident, uh, particularly over the last few months, you know. Um, yeah, really thinking about that, because we are, uh, 
in English schools, you know, I think, you know, young people are quite privileged to have a free education, to have, um, you know, an opportunity to learn about things. You know, we could talk about whether it's right or wrong to learn about that. But, um, but yeah, I think that, that that's kind of where the project, that was the genesis of the project where we started to think about that in particular. Um, and then we started to think about, well, how, how do you, because some, sorry, some of the other stuff that the teacher would tell us is, well, how, how do you address that issue? You know, that issue, if we take the migrant issue, for example, that issue is so distant and so sort of, you know, outside of, of young people's reality. Um, and I think that really is where the drama steps in, you know, as you know, it, you, know you use the fiction uh, because then you're not saying to someone, you know, oh, um, how would you feel in this situation? You're, but you're using the fiction and the other to say, you know, how do we imagine this character to feel in this particular situation? And suddenly that, that enables that democratic space where people can have different interpretations of, of a piece of fiction, for example, to, to really talk about some of the issues that are going on there. Um, and so by talking through the other or talking about the other or the, the other situation, they inevitably end up drawing on their own experience of, of the world and their own reality. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you try and boil that down to teachers, particularly of other subjects, you know, that, I think that's the gift of drama is that it, it's, a, it's a, for me, you know, part of drama is a methodology. It's a way of working. Um, and when you break it down for teachers um, who might have experienced that, that, that often helps them to sort of realize or you know at least acknowledge that the, the power that drama can have um yeah i've kind of rambled on there sorry I just, <laughs> just no, no, no 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 you haven't they haven't i was wondering after what you just said do any of the other communities or networks that you're a part of encourage teachers to develop this sort of work and and do you assist in that process at all um Good question. I think the way I do it or the way I sort of suggest it, if you like, is to do it through the teacher training that we do. So, um, you know, inevitably on the, the PGC course, we have to sort of cover a, a, a wide range of different stuff. So that's from, you know, Greek theatre to Shakespeare to process drama. You know, there's, there's kind of lots of things going on. Um, but I think it comes back to the idea of methodology because you can, you can still learn about Shakespeare in a democratic way, or you could still learn about, you know, frantic assembly in a democratic way. Um, And I think really that, that's what, that, that's what I think we're on about really is, is, you know, opening up them spaces in the, in a drama studio, for example, where children feel part of a community, part of a collective, somewhere where they're, you know, their voice is heard, where their their experiences of the world are actually acknowledged. And it's kind of a kick against, if you like, um, that sort of more traditional, I'm the teacher, stood at the front, this is what you need to know. Uh, it's on the exam, so you must learn it. Because um, that doesn't matter anymore, because those exams can just go. If those young people take in drama or the arts, you know, essentially what, what we're trying to do is, to get young people to know or sorry to to see or use art as a way of knowing the world and and actually you know if if this situation has revealed anything 
you know, the scrapping of a drama exam, for example, yes, at the moment, it might be pretty tough and, you know, it's not ideal, but actually what are they learning? They're learning that the arts can be sort of sidelined. They're learning that the arts can be, um, you know, demoted, if you like, that, that, that the world out there doesn't necessarily value the arts. And if young people are having a personal response to that and a sort of gut intrinsic reaction to that, that that's telling them something about who they are. And actually, that's, that's far better for me that they have that reaction than a bit of paper that says the number six on it. You know, and because drama is about learning to what it means to be human, and they're they're learning that in that in that moment, they they might not realise it. That that way of seeing that problem doesn't isn't necessarily popular. Uh, it's not going to necessarily get you into a college or a university or, or whatever. But you know, in terms of a life skill and learning about what it means to be human, that that's a you know when you lose i guess you don't lose the lesson i guess that's what i i'd be telling my uh, students if that if, if i were in that situation i know that sounds a bit idealistic but i think you know underneath all the stuff that's gone on you know those young people are are learning about the world whether it's you know they get to sit an exam or not you know they're still learning about something that that they're, the value of what they're doing in the world can be you know it's not it's not quantified by an exam or or just by an exam it's it's about how they feel about it it's about you know their work with others in that community um yeah i think it can be quite i can understand young people being upset and angry absolutely um but yeah don't don't lose the lesson i guess is what i'm saying (laughs) it's uh again it might be a bit of a rallying call you know a bit of a sort of cultural revolution where people you know start to realize actually no you know i don't need to sit a, an exam for this to happen you know and, and art is a way of knowing the world it's important um that that idea of connection you know is just i guess well personally you know i've never i've never really thought much about that sort of human connection until i've had to sit behind a screen since march you know it's just that's it's so important and learning about that uh, through the arts, I think that could be, you know, young people are going to make those decisions based upon their experience that they've had. Um, so it could, it could really strengthen it. I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it sounds again, idealistic, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic about the future of the arts. Um, I know it's not great at the moment, but I think, I think the wave is going to come if you like. Has uh, there been any surprises from the online delivery that you're now doing? Have you uncovered anything that potentially might be better to deliver online? Is there is there anything that's kind of come up and made you go, oh, actually, you know, this is actually quite useful for this particular um, area? Or yeah, I, well, yeah, I think some of the some of the things that I've done in terms of my practice that I'm probably going to keep are, are things like. Um, I might do, well, I have done some sort of pre-recorded material. So, you know, the sort of sometimes the, 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 the more talky bits, if you like, or the discursive bits of um, a, a workshop or a session or, you know, contextualizing a session, you know, that, that's definitely, I've done that this year and that's definitely going to carry on uh, next year because it actually, it, it saves time, um, which is really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm just playing around at the moment with um, 
some uh, teacher in role work, but sort of pre-recording that work. So it's not, it's not me necessarily doing it live, but um, as part of a, an online process, you know, it's not just, it's a completely different sort of role. Um, but I don't know how that's going to go yet. So I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not the same. And yeah, it's, 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 it is different. And just, I guess really part of, part of looking for those surprises is actually is, is, is finding the time to start to upskill yourself. Um, so, you know, finding different apps and things that, that, that can work and then how you apply them. And I think that's going to take a bit of time um, as a teacher uh, to then teach that to teachers, you know, so it's, yeah, it's a, I think there's, there'll be surprise, more surprises to come, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> Would I be able to just double back a little bit and pick your brain about your relationship with Big Brum Theatre Company. Um, and I yeah, have another, of course. I have another question in regards to Big Brum in a moment about how nationally drama training or PGCE training involves theatre mm-hmm. companies. But I just wanted to unpick that relationship between you both. How, how have you mm-hmm. found working with the company and, and what do they offer your students. I, again, I mean, I, I've said it a few times, but I am really lucky in my role and I'm very aware of it. Um, I first started working with Big Brum when I was in schools. Uh, so it was back in sort of 2007, I think it was. Um, they came in and did some work and uh, I absolutely hated it. I was like, this is not theatre, what? So, you know, and I was, I was quite reactive to it. Um, but actually, you know, once I sat down with... Um, Chris Cooper, who was the artistic director at the time, uh, Richard Holmes, who was an actor teacher at the time, and they started to explain the methodology and the sort of pedagogy that underpins what they were doing. I suddenly went, oh my God, I have been doing this all wrong, you know, since I've started teaching. And it was a real eye-opening experience for me. And I think, just to come back to your question then, I think uh, you know the relationships developed since then, and, and actually one of the one of the benefit one of the biggest benefits of having a theatre in education company to work with is that they are not coming at education from inside the system; they're coming at it from outside the system in in a sense. And what that does is that you know they can quite legitimately say, "Why are you doing it like that?" And and actually, for a teacher, you know, if you if if a teacher really wants to develop that question, why are you doing it like that? Or why are you doing that? Is, is probably one of the best questions to ask. Um, so having that, that luxury, like you said, is, is really beneficial. And particularly for the trainees, because, you know, Big Brum are coming at it from sort of um, an artist educator perspective, whereas I'm coming at it from a sort of, you know, a, a teacher professional, I'm not saying that Big Brum aren't professional, but um, I'm coming at it as a sort of, um, a, a professional teacher from inside the system and actually having those two two viewpoints which sometimes converge but also sometimes sort of bump up against each other is a real um can be a real melting pot for ideas and, and developing the thinking of people um yeah it's just it's just and i guess for myself personally it just keeps me on my toes uh, thinking about my own pedagogy so yeah i'm all for that and surely it's a great example to then encourage the teachers that you're training once they enter the workplace to then seek external support. Absolutely. I, I, one, 
one of the things I was never sort of introduced to when I trained to be a teacher was how do drama teachers work with arts educators? I mean, you know, where, where do you get taught that? Um, and, and actually, that's one of the experiences that the course at BCU that we offer is, you know, we have a good relationship with, with an outside arts provider, if you like. And, you know, I not only talk about how to work with them, but I also model it. So, you know, they, they come in, uh, they usually they'll do a day's workshop. We've already done it this year. We did it all. We moved it all online, which was interesting. Um, you know, and I think the, uh, Big Brum, you know, they, they've got a real, they've, they've been in Birmingham for nearly 30, is it 30 years, 40 years? I can't remember. You know, they're, they're, they're still there and, you know, their commitment to the young people of, of the West Midlands is, well, it's second to none. And actually, you know, if, if teachers, you know, and teachers across the West Midlands also have that, and actually just bringing the two together could be a real powerful force for children in the region um, and schools in the region and teachers in the region. I think, you know, in this time when we're all sort of socially distant, you know, actually those connections are really, really vital. Um, yeah, I think that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, again, another thing to sort of think about and it strengthens that community as well. Um, having those different voices is all part of democracy and community. And, um, yeah. Anyway, I just, yeah, I'm probably biased, but I just think they're great. (laughs) I agree. I think it's fantastic. I think the model's really, really lucrative. And that second question of, do you know if nationally drama teachers or PGC courses also replicate that same model of working with external theatre companies as well? Yeah, we've uh, we're so the I'm not going to say main providers, but you know there there are a group of universities who come together under the title of Cited, which is the Standing Committee for Initial Teacher Education in Drama. Um, so basically, you know, we all we all do the same sort of job at you know Manchester Met or Reading or Chester or Goldsmiths. Um, other courses are available. Um, uh, you know, we, we meet uh, every two weeks. Um, and actually, one of the, you talked about surprises earlier, but one of the surprises is that we've met more and more regularly since we've had to go into lockdown. So it's just, you know, we've, we've done more work in the last, since March than I think we, you know, we've, we've done in a long time. Um, and that's, a, that's a, again, it's a really, again, a, co- a collaborative uh, space. Um, and we're, we're just starting to, tease out some new events so um we've got another event coming up on the 3rd of december which i think is called um so you think you want to be a drama teacher so we're aiming it at people who are looking to get into the profession um national drama are supporting that which is really good of them um and i think the last time i saw the email trail i think we had about 97 signed up within sort of three days so there's a real there's a real need out well not yeah, there's a want out there, I think, of, of people wanting to get into the profession. Um, and again, you know, I feel like that wave that I mentioned earlier, it, things are just starting, it feels like things are starting to turn. Um, so, yeah, there is a wider sort of national community in that sense um, of sort of uh, lecturers, if you like, working in IT. Um, and the other good thing about that is, you know, we all recognise each other's challenges uh, that we're facing. Um at an institutional level, but also at a sort of subject level as well. Um, 
so yeah that's that's good it's good to be part of that yeah and that shared practice is so important because even though nationally on let's say a circumstantial level things may be different Mm -hmm. in whatever school you're in actually some of the obstacles that teachers face creatively mm-hmm. are universal and, and being yeah. able to share that with a third party is incredibly helpful. My next question, Chris, is in your opinion, since the emergence of applied theatre degrees, have the students that have then enrolled on PGCE courses arrived more equipped to facilitate and teach potentially better than students who maybe might have taken a different route such as they may have just taken a drama or a theatre arts degree what do you think Uh, that's a great question um (laughs) I've got to, it depends on how controversial I want my answer to be. Um, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> um, when I first started, um, in terms of recruitment and selection, uh, working at a university, you we could be very, very selective with how we recruited. So we would select, uh, we had a limited number of spaces, um, we were oversubscribed massively and basically you know we were quite lucky in that we could just basically take the best of the best and that's not to say that current trainees are the worst of the worst not at all um, but we were in quite a, a different position to what we're in now and um, over over the years the way that recruitment happens has been changed significantly at a governmental level level which has seen the sort of fragmentation of recruitment across skits, um, school direct, um, you know, universities as well. And what that's done is it's, it's kind of opened up this sort of competition. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> I mean, I remember a few years ago where we were all competing for as many trainees as we could before the government brought, it was called the guillotine, before they brought in the stop. So, you know, if, if, if say, um, a university in London recruited 34 and um, University of Manchester recruited 34, that'd be, what, 78? And, you know, say we only had 100 that we could recruit nationally, that would only leave sort of 22 for all the other universities. So it was whoever could get the most first. And that was really, it was, it was divisive, it was competitive, it led to... Uh, it led to bad recruitment practice, I think. Um, I think things are softened slightly in terms of how recruitment happens now. So um, that that model that I just explained wasn't sustainable over time. So it's kind of, uh, it, it's changed. But I think just, just to come back to your question, I think that the, some of the skills uh, have definitely changed uh, or, or some of the skills that I'm seeing have definitely changed. But I think those skills have come about because of, the recruitment strategy, not necessarily because of what the applicants are coming with. Um, and a lot of the teachers that we're getting through, so applicants that we get through now have, are actually a product of the system they've come through. So, you know, I, at the beginning of the course, I always say, so, you know, what do you think about that? And it, there's always reticence there to sort of say, oh, 
he's, he's asking us what we think, you know, because we're trying to step away from that sort of spoon feeding sort of, here's what you need to know. This is the presentation of knowledge. Um, and I think really that's, that's one of the, the big challenges is getting, getting new teachers to think critically, you know, because I, I doubt very much they've ever been asked, well, what, what's education for? You know, what, what, and again, you know, we ask them at interview, why do you want to be a teacher? And they always give some sort of answer about, you know, uh, oh, I had a great teacher. I want to be like them. I want to give something back, which is great. And, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, dismissing that. But actually, when you, when you get them on the course and then you start saying, come on, what's it really about? Why are you really doing it? And they've never been pushed in that way before. And I think that's, that's where you really start to unpick what people are about. And that's, that's quite interesting. So what makes an enticing applicant then for you or the BCU panel? Uh, well, usually it's for me. So um, I think it's someone with, someone with passion, absolutely. It's someone with passion for young people, someone with passion for the subject, um, someone who is obviously motivated, proactive, or, you know, confident. Um, someone really who is willing to take some risks and is prepared to change. I think they're the sort of key, key things I'd be looking for. Um, obviously some subject knowledge is helpful, um, but you know, you can always work on subject knowledge and, and try and develop that. So, but those, those sort of key core things about someone and, you know, how they relate to people, those sort of, uh, those intangible skills, those things you just sense from people, they're really hard to teach, you know. Um, so, yeah, you, you're kind of looking for, for that personality, if you like, um, not in a sort of, you know, a stereotypical drama teacher way, all, you know, hands and, you know, I'm, I'm doing the musical, but, but someone who is, you know, they've got a little bit of something about them. It's hard to put into words. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of goes back to that identity question of the identity of a teacher and i don't know it's hard can you instill something in someone that isn't there i that's a good question and actually something i wrote about is that um i in my role as a teacher trainer i need to be very mindful of not creating uh, i call them emblematic figures so or not being an emblematic figure so be mindful that there is not just one version of a drama teacher and that actually, you know, helping, helping people to sort of almost take off the layers to reveal that drama teacher that, that's probably inside. Um, that, that's what's, that's what my job's about that, you know, just sort of taking like a sculptor almost sort of just chipping away and knocking bits out. And, um, and there isn't, you know, one type of drama teacher um, but there is something there's there's a there's a, a core to good teachers where there's <laughs> it's really hard to explain but they've they've kind of got that sort of sense about them where they, they I think where they realize why it's important and you know what a not only a privilege being a teacher is but what what a responsibility it is as well um and yeah I don't I don't think you can teach that to someone if if they haven't got it no and it and something that I always, that really always kind of, I don't know, it doesn't throw me, but it always, I'm always considering the fact that I myself in the role of the facilitator or the teacher, I'm constantly on a learning experience as well. 
no matter what that is, whether that's how to adapt something for the next time that I teach it, whether it's in the moment configuring things in order to, Mm -hmm. I don't know, configure it based upon the reactions I'm getting. So I'm learning all the time. Now the pupils and the students are also learning, (laughs) but not only from me, their entire day is a learning experience through the interactions that they have, through the different lessons that they have, how things are taught to them in different ways. And Mm -hmm. upon that reflection, you really understand the weight that being a professional teacher bears on you, that responsibility. And that's a really, really, really... How do you how do you put that across to a trainee teacher that this is the responsibility you have, and you've got to deliver that? Yeah, I think just just on that, you know, just to come back a little bit in terms of that idea about recruitment is that you know, if I think the, what makes a good teacher is when they realise that teaching is a lifestyle, it, it is it's a way of being. It's that you know, it's not as Lots of teachers, I'm sure, would fully recognise it is not a job where you rock up, you do what you need to do, and then you go home. It, it, it is, it's a way of life, and it really affects who you are as a person and the way the way you conduct yourself in sort of everyday life. And I, I guess to come back to that idea about when I was talking about PGCs and how they change on the course, I, I guess part of that um, process of change is then coming to realise well, this is actually a way of living, a way of being that that people, unless they've experienced it, don't fully understand it. Um, yeah, I think that's... How, how do you go about developing the pastoral responsibility of a teacher and equipping trainee teachers to understand that the, the students that they're going to be working with are going through quite a chaotic time in their lives? Yeah, you know, that... um, with great difficulty. <laughs> that was kind of my initial response to it. I guess, I mean, you know, we, we do the formal things on the, on the course, things around safeguarding and protecting sort of mental health and well-being. Uh, we talk about spiritual, moral, cultural, um, uh, you know, education. And we talk about, you know, the other stuff like protecting people into drama, for example. Um, but, you know, I, I always say to my guys, you can't, you can't learn to swim unless you get in the water and actually you know unless you get into schools and start working with young people and you know listening to them and and when i say listening i mean really tuning your ear to what they're really saying you know you you can't really teach you can't teach those softer skills i guess really it's it's just about being human isn't it and and trying to resist that sort of I mean, I know there's got to be some sort of barrier between you as the teacher and the young people as sort of students, but but actually, you know, once you've developed that side of your teachiness, if you like, you, you, you've kind of also got to show them that you are human underneath it and, you know, you do shop in Asda or wherever. Um, it, it's all part of them becoming part of the world, you know, to see that. Um, I mean, you probably know better than I in primary schools, you know, when children, I, I guess, because I've got two young primary school children, and I, I don't think they see that, particularly my youngest daughter, she doesn't see her teacher as a sort of a teacher, it's more of a sort of, it's almost like a second mom, you know, and, and I think, 
I think as children get older, yeah, they sort of become more independent. Um, but but they still need people to, to, to function in that role as, as a, well, as, you know, it's being a parent, isn't it, in a sense? Um, yeah, and that's, that's that, like you said, it's a really, it's an important thing for people to think about uh, when they're getting into the profession, because again, it's a big responsibility. I think that idea though is, you know, you, you can't, you can't hold that facade or that mask or that character um, as a sort of, you know, you can't be that teacher with that sort of professional distance all the time. Inevitably, it's going to, like you said, it's going to slip. Things are going to be revealed because you are. You, you, you're living with these people for, you know, usually like six, maybe seven hours a day, five days a week for most of the year. So I don't think there's any harm in showing showing you know, your humanness. And actually, I think from my experience working in schools, once, once I let my guard down a little, I think showing young people that, you know, you're not just there to sort of teach them. It's about something else as well. It's about being, you know, in partnership, collaborating with them. Um, you're developing that trust, aren't you? Which I think, you know, people, whoever you are, wherever you are, need, um, and that, that's quite, a, you know, developing those relationships is, is just fundamental in, in not only in teaching, but in just in life itself. And actually, you know, they're, they're, they're really important life lessons for young people, do how to develop relationships and how you, for young people, you know, how you develop relationships with, with older people as well, because that's, um, you know, that, that's important because, that, you know, when you get into work and that, you know, people are often in a senior positions to you, et cetera. Um, their their skills again those sort of soft unseen skills that teachers are drama teachers as well you know are, are responsible for as well as learning about a fellow or whatever it is that you might be doing is that something that you explore as well on the course uh, the importance of developing collaborative relationships with other staff members who might be from different departments or... yeah we talk we talk um I think really, you know, that's a good point, actually. Do I do that, really? <laughs> I'm questioning myself now. Um, I think I'd like to think we do. You know, we talk about how you how you would develop relationships, not only with young people, but how you would develop it with, with your mentor in particular, you know, because that's, that's, a, that's a really key relationship, particularly for a PGCE year. Um, and, you know, for the mentors, it's... it's it's not they're not only teaching a new teacher to teach but you know that that there's different shades of being a mentor so sometimes you do have to be that mentor that says no that's wrong sometimes you have to be that mentor that sort of coaches at the side and says oh should we try it this way sometimes you have to be that mentor who's got that big shoulder for them to cry on and sort of you know go it's going to be okay um so yeah you know you even get teachers within teaching if that makes sense um we do I do talk to the trainees and the mentors about that relationship and you know I guess my role within that is almost to sort of broker that relationship as well and you know just just make sure things are ticking over and the trainee feels supported but also that the mentor feels supported as well so in regards to the drama for democracy project obviously that came to an end or took a brief pause is that the right word the way to word it well no, we, we didn't necessarily hit pause, but um, we, um, 
we kind of came to the end of the project in November 2019. And then um, obviously there was um, all the stuff on the website that you might have seen, you know, all that, those kind of final bits of paperwork and stuff. We kind of had to get all that finalised by sort of January of this year. Um, and then, you know, we, we were kind of busy with that. Um, and we didn't really start to think about, well, what was next before then obviously uh, everything happened with COVID. Um, I think originally when we were talking, um, particularly sort of from in, in the sort of UK team, if you like, we, we were talking about where we might take it next at the university. And we, we were talking about things such as um, trying to get um, an international summer school off the ground. So, you know, every year it'd be nice to sort of run a, a programme of, uh, activities for a week or, or maybe two at the university where teachers from across Europe, even worldwide, you know, could come to come to lovely Birmingham uh, and, you know, engage in some work around some of those topics. Um, we also, I mean, you know, th there's also opportunity as well to start thinking about new qualifications in, in sort of democratic learning or uh, democratic drama, or, you know, I, I don't know what the course title would be, but but again, you know, developing those opportunities um, for professional learning and getting accredited for that professional learning as well. I think that's that's quite uh, important. Um, so, yeah, we've never really sort of uh, come back to those things because uh, we've just all been surviving. Um, but I guess, you know, um, that is, is still there. And, you know, there's no reason why we can't um, regenerate that, those ideas again in the future. Um, particularly as I, I know that um, Birmingham City University used to have a, an international research sort of department for drama um, with Professor David Davis, um, who has uh, since sort of taken a big back step, but is still around here and there. Um, but, you know, reigniting that sort of those ideas could be quite useful, I think, um, and, and particularly as internationally, the growth of drama in education is sort of rising and rising and rising, um, whereas arguably in the UK, you know, it's declining, declining, declining. So, <laughs> you know, if we, if we think about who, who, which people might be interested, you know, uh, internationally, it might, that, that might be the audience that, that we need. Um, so yeah, I guess there's a, a sort of a, a historical bit of heritage that's that's in Birmingham, um, and you know why not regenerate that in a sense? Um, I don't know what that would look like, but it's a an optimistic vision, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, and and of course a a perfect framework for further development. And I was wondering now that the research has been conducted. Yeah. What's next, or or what bigger questions have m manifested from that <laughs> research? As I'm guessing that probably through the practice, a bigger box of questions has now been opened up to you. Like where, what, where does it go from here? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Think, thinking just sort of on my feet, I I, I would imagine you know um, what what would be really nice is to hear um, from from teachers who might have used the material and or adapted it or developed the material in their own context, you know, to sort of, it'd be nice to have them uh, come back to, um, you know, a space where they could share what they've done as a result of that. And, 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 and then that sort of cyclical relationship 
continues. Because um, we, we talk a lot in the projects about um, those democratic spaces being a sort of a, an embodiment of living democracy, so that it's an ongoing process that's constantly negotiated and, uh, you know, the values are reshaped, etc. Um, so, yeah, hearing from, from teachers and how they might have done that work could, could be could be interesting and again actually you know thinking about the partners that were involved um again that could be really sort of a quite a fertile space to explore i mean if you think about hungary at the moment which uh, if uh, have got a, a very right-wing government um you know i don't know if you saw the students in the arts university were sort of occupying the university because the government were trying to um, change uh, change the courses in the university. So, you know, the, those, the political structures and um, backgrounds of the organisations that were originally involved in the project have changed. Um, so, you know, coming together again to see, well, it might be, you know, democracy through drama, what does it mean now? Because, um, again, it's changed uh, again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, moving forward, again, it's it's not, not clear at the moment, um, but it's still there lurking like a ghost <laughs> thinking thinking of universities and democratic spaces there's a lot of research that does show that universities have suffered a loss of democracy and that it's no longer a democratic space for students surely there's an entire project there in itself which yeah, i guess yeah. must only inspire you to apply for more funding and go again right is is that something that's <laughs> potentially yeah i mean that that sort of um neoliberalization of higher education is you know it's it's well researched it's it's well known and you know that the commercialization of education is just it, it's epitomized in universities um yeah, and, and I guess, but, you know, questioning that and questioning the, the merit of that and the value of that, uh, that's part of living in a democratic society, uh, at least having that space to to think about what that means, um, potentially change it, I don't know. Um, I think it might be too big for a little course in Birmingham, but... No, but as, as you say, Chris, it's about... The dialogue, which is why the project has been so brilliantly conceived and then orchestrated yeah. and creates a space for that dialogue to yeah. happen. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, th that dialogue is really key. And I, I just, I was just drawn then to an idea about dialogue because when we think about dialogue, you know, we talk about, um, you know, like spoken word, uh, etc. But but part of the project as well, we were um, we explored this idea of uh, mimesis, which came from the University of Rome, which was which was actually about how we come to understand other people through the use of our body and movement, um, which was again a, a, an interesting uh, an interesting methodology um, I, and one that I learned a great deal from. Um, but yeah, that, that dialogue is really important in terms of bringing people, I think, closer together um, and not necessarily to make people the same, but to bring, connect people, I think is what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, and, and actually having those, like you said, having those spaces for that to happen is, is, is important. Or at least being able to, knowing how to create those spaces, again, is really important. Yeah, sure. And especially if those conversations aren't happening at secondary stage, 
then you would certainly hope that universities would be going above and beyond to create supportive, open, democratic spaces. And now, thanks to yourselves and the team, you know, that framework is being created <laughs> and provided. Um, so am I right in saying that you are now a co-author for BCU's School of Education journal magazine? Is that right? Oh, I wish that was. Um, so... <laughs> So uh, I can't, again, I can't take the credit for that. My, my colleague, Grant Tuddleston, in, uh, who's a PE lecturer in our department, he, he came up with the idea of developing a, a journal. Um, and so I'm one of the editors and uh, my other colleagues, uh, Tina and Mary, are also uh, in there. Basically, the journal is just a really useful way of trying to make some connections between the world of HE, the world of initial teacher education and actually you know the schools colleges that are um that we work with in partnership and what 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 grant was trying to do or, or is trying to do is to try and make that link between theory and practice really sort of um accessible not only for academics but also for teachers in schools as well um, so basically, I mean, the idea is that um, it, it's not just us as academics writing articles and sending it out. It's about people in our partnerships or, you know, teachers, um, uh, academics as well, mentors. Um, I've also, we've also had some current, uh, sorry, some students from last year who submitted some articles as well. So there's a real, um, yeah, and we put them all together. And then, you know, obviously we, we share that, um, uh, we share that with, with the wider partnership. And that, again, you know, that idea about community and bringing it together, again, it's another way to sort of say, look, you know, we, we are um, a thinking community and, you know, we are really thinking and researching our practice. Um, and out of that, you know, we are developing new knowledge and new ways of working and new ways of collaborating. Um, and it's not just a sort of a, a top down sort of thing, you know, a traditional, here's an academic journal article, you go away and read it. it it's more... Um, you know, it's more the structure's flat, if you like. So we're kind of having contributions from from everyone. So yeah, the the aim of that really, like I said, is is to make those links between theory and practice. Um, again, just to strengthen some of the sort of theoretical foundations of the partnership that we have. Um, I think the first edition goes out in December. I want to say December seventh. So. Um, yeah, but it wasn't my idea. It was, uh, I have to say, it was uh, my colleague's idea, but a, a, a great idea. Great. Will it be made accessible for, let's say, external agencies or anybody that might be interested in having a read? Um, I think so. I want to say yes. Um, I've got a feeling it will be available on our partner's website um, and you could probably download it as a PDF. Um, I'd have to find out, but I think that 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 would and if it's not then i think it definitely should be you know and it's free as well which is uh, important there's not that sort of you know you don't have to pay for it or subscribe to something it's it's a, a free sort of document um which is increasingly hard to find in the academic world so that's uh, it's good yeah and so that you're not too hard to find do you have a preferred route or method of contact for anyone who might want to get in contact with you after listening to this episode? Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, email's always good because, you know, that's kind of how I live. <laughs> um, most on Twitter as well, which is quite, uh, I, I like to do a lot of t tweeting. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm quite open to making new connections. I'm open to listening, uh, getting involved with various things. Um, 
if I if I think they're worthwhile and useful, you know, absolutely. Um, but yeah, email's probably probably the best way. And I would just like to add there as well that this episode is testament to Chris's proactive Twitter engagement because I messaged you and you got back to me incredibly quickly. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your time this evening, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, anybody that would like to get into co- in contact with Chris, I'll include not only his blog, but also his email and great. Twitter handle um, in the description for That's this episode. Thank so you. thank you That's again, really Chris. Helpful. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon.